Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk all about the Jets and Oilers. It's done. It's over. We'll get the Jets' point of view with Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun, and then the Oilers side of things with Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic. Covers the Oilers for that fine outlet. That's all coming up on the podcast. Let's talk more about what we saw last night. Ted Wyman was there in the press box as we waited till just past one in the morning for somebody to score Ted Wyman. Uh, last night, were you of the mind that uh, it's just somebody, please score. I don't care who, just please anybody. I want to go home. Or is that just <laughs> well, me? You know, you know, Christian, I'm uh, one of those old school reporters that still has deadlines. So, uh, that's right. um, I was thinking that at 11.15, <laughs> and then I was thinking it again at midnight when my second deadline came and went. <laughs> By the time it got around to uh, 1 in the morning, I was certainly just wanting to go home, but, um, you know, just thinking it, it just, you just, you just want some kind of a result, absolutely. Um, but in all honesty, you know, you couldn't help but... Uh, be in awe of uh, of kind of how it ended because that was two nights in a row, two nights in 24 hours where you had these amazing overtime winners. And, uh, you know, just like all the Jets players have said, as a media guy, um, that building would have been awfully fun to be in if there had been, if it had been full of fans. Absolutely. And that's, you know, my dad asked me today, was where does this rank on, you know, in-person sporting experiences? And I just said, well, it's an empty arena. The result was was amazing from a drama perspective, right? A triple overtime in an elimination game, but you know, it's there's the yelling of the players in celebration, but without the fans, yeah. I mean, even at one in the morning, the place would have been bonkers, and you could see that because I I don't know when you left the rink, but when I left the rink at quarter to two, people were driving around honking their horns. I left at three in the morning, <laughs> Christian, and there were still a few people out there uh, honking their horns, which really is amazing. But as you point out, you know, um, had that game been full of fans, they, you know, I, I was lucky enough, Christian, uh, I'm old enough to have actually been uh, a fan at the Jets uh, win over the Edmonton Oilers in 1990 when Dave Ellett scored the winning goal. And uh, that was before I even went to journalism school. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was, I remember more than anything, the fans standing and cheering for about 15 minutes after the goal was scored. You know, it was basically a curtain call <laughs> for the players to come back out and uh, and skate around some more. And then, you know, and you, you saw what happened during the Nashville series a couple of years ago with all the crowds outside on the streets. You can only imagine that after a game like that last night, uh, there would have been a huge party, impromptu street party, after that game uh, at Portage in Maine and all over downtown and the, and the whole building and surrounding area would have been electric. And, you know, it's kind of silly to lament that because it's not happening, but it's still too bad because really you just know that this kind of experience for so many people in the past has been memorable, like for their whole lives, remembering where they were, what they were doing, how they were involved in a series like that and it's just really not the same when you don't have that crowd electricity and i think part of it too is seeing some of the games down in the states where there are a bunch of people at the game seeing the carolina hurricanes having you know twelve thousand people and the panthers have that many and 
it's just a kind of a, a FOMO, I guess. And you're just thinking fear of missing out. You, you just see that and you think, oh, dang, why can't we have that? And in the grand scheme of things, it is one year. There will be many more years. But who knows how many playoff runs are in it. So let's just look at how they did it. Is it as simple, Ted, as the Jets had Connor Hellebuck and the Oilers didn't? Well, I don't know if it's that simple. I do want to say, though, I don't know how many years you're ever going to have two consecutive overtime goals <laughs> by the home team uh, and three games in a row with that. And, and you know, like I don't know if fans will ever get a chance to see something like that because it's just so rare. And the comeback, too, now, in Game 3. And and the comeback on Game 3, yeah. Like, I mean, just things that just are, are just never happen or rarely happen. Anyway, to your point, uh, no, it's not that simple. I mean, Connor Hellebuck, was the better goalie in this series. Not by a ton. I mean, Mike Smith played fantastic as well. But Connor Hellebuck was a slightly better goalie. And, and I, here's why I say he was definitely the better goalie. I, and I, I said slightly before, but I should have said definitely. After the end of the second period in this series, Connor Hellebuck gave up exactly one goal. That was to Jujar Kara in Game 3. The Jets scored 10 goals after the end of the second period in this series. I mean, that, that's a huge difference. It was only one-goal games all the way through this thing, realistically, because there was two, uh, two empty net goals in game one. But the third period on, the Jets were clutch. And I mean the goal scorers, I mean the shot blockers, and I mean Connor Hellebuck. And if, you're gonna, if I'm going to back up my statement that it's not all Hellebuck, I want to go back to the shot blockers because that is incredible what the Jets have done in this series, the sacrifices those guys put in to get in into shooting lanes, and it's all exemplified by Blake Wheeler with a minute and a bit left in the hockey game, throwing himself in front of a shot from Chris Russell, and, you know, we all know where he got hit. And it's, uh, you know, it's just guts. It's unbelievable guts that those guys show, and it's incredible sacrifice. And I really thought that the Jets, I think every team that's winning in the playoffs is doing that kind of sacrifice, and the Jets had just the right amount of that plus a great goaltender and we saw over the course of the season reasons to doubt that we'd see that in the playoffs but part of it is also just a a a buy-in for sure from top to bottom in the lineup to block shots to back check players that weren't necessarily doing it in the regular season as often doing it in the playoffs and part of that ted is just maybe you know in that last couple weeks stretch the the incentive to do it really wasn't there but once you get to the playoffs it is all out, and the Jets have, have that system down. It seems pat right now. You know what? When you talk about the surprise that the Jets would be as good as they were in that series, part of it for me just goes back to the bubble in Calgary in, uh, in Edmonton last year when the Jets played the Calgary Flames. They didn't really have any of that passion at all. They didn't really have that kind of sacrifice. They were down a couple of players, which certainly deflated them, losing Mark Shifley as early as they did, but you just didn't see that kind of heart that they had in this series here. Um, And I can't help but think that a lot of that has to do with what Kevin Sheveldayoff did in the offseason in bringing in players like Paul Stassi and Nate Thompson and Trevor Lewis and Derek Forbert, um, a lot of uh, guys with a lot of experience, some of them, at least one of them, Stanley Cup winner, uh, Paul Stassi with 100 playoff games now in his career, those guys make a real difference, uh, and very clearly, to the overall maturity of this team. And, of course, a lot of the players who we all considered young for a long time, 
like Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor and Josh Morrissey and even Mark Shifley, well, they're not young anymore. They're all veteran players. Very Quite a veteran team for the Jets here this year. And I think that really showed in this series against Edmonton. I think Winnipeg had way more playoff experience at Edmonton, and that came through in the series. You could see it was the Oilers who were making the mistakes at the critical times, not the Jets. The Jets, you know, they sometimes analytically, in fact, for the whole series analytically, you probably would say that the Oilers had the better possession time and the better chances overall. But in the critical moments, it was the Jets who were playing the best hockey. And that's been the Jets' mo for the in the Connor Hellebuck era. Really, has been they're getting out chance for the most part, uh, and they get the better goalie, so it makes up for that for sure. Looking ahead now, Ted, the Jets are either going to face Toronto or Montreal in who knows how many days. Toronto up one nothing on the Habs right now in the second period of game number four. Don't not necessarily which is the better matchup, but do you think is it better? that that series wraps up sooner or later. I know the Jets want to have some rest after last night, but I can't help but thinking of a couple times over the years where a team sweeps their opponent, the other team they're about to play goes seven, and the team that went seven just comes in with momentum. The other team is stuck getting going because they've been off for 10 days, and next thing you know, they're done too. I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. Because <laughs> it, it really is a tough one, Christian. You know, that can go both ways. There's no question about it. I think, I think most teams would say at least that they like to be able to have the rest. When you consider the amount of times, the amount of players that must have bumps and bruises, you know, probably that's an understatement when you consider the amount of shots these guys blocked and the physicality of a playoff series. Um, and yeah, that was a four game sweep, but that was no walk in the park for the Winnipeg Jets. There's no question. So yeah, in that sense, I think, Anybody would want to have a nice little break, have the Habs and uh, Leafs beat each other up for a while, and come in French fresh and be the team that uh, you know that has a chance to uh, jump all over the other team in that series. But as you said, there's many times when a team that's coming off the seven gamer just continues their momentum, and the team that took that had the break because they swept another team just kind of loses their momentum a little bit, loses all those things. Uh, the adrenaline, all the things that were carrying them. And so it definitely can go both ways. I think the Jets are going to be happy to have a little bit of rest, but it's going to be very, very important for Paul Maurice and for all the players to keep their mindset the same as what they were doing in this series against Edmonton and you know, try to keep the uh, excitement and the life going as, uh, as the days progress here. I mean, there's a chance the, the Leafs conceivably could win this series by thursday night and it might not be as long as we thought uh before the next series starts but uh either way the jets just need to keep their approach the same if that happens maybe i don't think they'd start on saturday i know how much uh talking in canada wants saturday games but that seems pretty quick for the leafs but they also really want to get this this playoffs in we'll speculate i've heard of either christian just no it's not you but the but the jets had to play vegas two days after their game seven win over nashville in 2018 that's right but we'll we'll cross that bridge we'll find out soon enough i think 
Uh, it's obvious the Jets would probably be better off against Montreal, but that would also mean that Montreal beat Toronto, which says something that maybe Montreal's better than we thought they would be. So, uh, and they we, were better than any of the than Winnipeg or Edmonton or Toronto in the playoffs last year. You know, right. in the bubble. So they got Carey Price, and that's and that's huge. The Habs are having trouble scoring, but uh, in terms of uh, just looking ahead now, Ted, what the Jets did in this series, the way they played defensively, the way that they were able to get the timely goals, the fact that their whole lineup is is healthy, it seems, at the moment. How far can they go, do you think, if this is the team that they actually are? Well, I mean, you watch the games, Christian. Everybody who's listening here watched the games. That was a really good-looking playoff hockey team right there. Uh, I think, and and a team that has the potential to go a long way. And the reason I say that is because there's really good balance in that team. They've got a four-line team. And, yeah, Trevor Lewis and uh, Nate Thompson didn't play in overtime, and they don't play much if the game, if they're not in the lead. But, you know, those guys are really good fourth-line players. Matthew Perot's a really good fourth-line player. You can't say enough about the third line with uh, Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton and uh, Matthew Pro. I, I thought Mason Appleton had an absolutely fantastic game yesterday. He had a goal. He had at least two really good chances in overtime. But it's not just that. They're also out there playing against McDavid and Dreisaitl the whole time. And they did a really, really great job. So there's a really good line that not only can shut a team down, but also can produce some scoring. And you've got the line with Dubois, who I thought was quite a bit better in the last couple of games. Nikolai Ehlers, who might be the most dynamic player on the team. And Paul Stastny with all that playoff experience. And of course, that's not even to mention the top line of Wheeler, Shifley, and Connor, who came to life yesterday offensively after doing a really good job in their own zone in games one and two of that series. And I don't think I've seen the, the defensive group for the Jets look stronger. Uh, at least this defensive group for the Jets looks stronger than it did during this series, uh, led by Josh Morrissey, who sometimes is maligned by fans for not quite being you know, the player they expect when he makes $8 million a year. But I think that many people would suggest that he looked like that in this series. Ted, appreciate your time as always, and we'll see you in the press box for whenever. it's If it's Game 3 against Toronto or Game 1 against Montreal. All right, man. Good to talk to you. Speaking of Edmonton, let's check in on how things are going in the city there after the sweep of the Oilers by the Winnipeg Jets. For more, we'll check in now with Daniel Nugent-Bowman, who covers the Oilers for The Athletic. Daniel, what's the energy like in Edmonton today? Uh, it's a little downcast, I would say. It's, uh, you know, this is not what uh, I think people were expecting. I think as we, t- we talked before the series started, I think there was a lot of optimism that they could win the series, especially, you know, given how well they played against the Jets during the uh, during the regular season. I, I cer- certainly thought that was the case, too. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the series was a lot closer than, than you know, a, a four-game sweep would indicate with, obviously three games going into overtime uh, and, and game one essentially being a one goal game with the two late empty netters. Uh, but, you know, they didn't win a game, right? The, the season's over in four games. It'll obviously the fewest amount that, that a team can play. So for a team that has Connor McDavid at, if not the peak of his powers, 
damn near close and, and, you know, reigning MVP and, and Leon Dreisaitl finishing second in scoring and, you know, go down the list. Arnold Nurse, the type of year he had, type of offensive season Tyson Berry had and goaltending for Mike Smith. And uh, Mike Smith was, was pretty good in that series. Just, just Connor Hallebuck was a little bit better. And, and for those, for that type of team, um, to not be able to win a single playoff game is incredibly disappointing, even though uh, this wasn't, uh, as, I've, as I've written and said, this wasn't, you know, the year that, that fans should have or, or was likely for them to be expecting a, a real deep playoff run with, with Toronto looming uh, potentially in the next round. But the, the uh, expectation was to get some positive momentum going into next season uh, where, the, you know, the real um, kind of fun potentially for this team should or could be uh, in terms of getting them into a, a real kind of contender mode. I think that's still the case, but they're now going into the uh, that that realm in a little bit different, different spot than they should have been. I'm of the mind that grand sweeping changes might not need to be made because, again, it looks bad when you just see a four-game sweep, but the Jets led for less than 20 minutes in a four-game sweep. So it, it can cannot be a more razor-thin margin of victory. But is the big question in Edmonton today about the depth of the club and how that needs to be better addressed? That, yes. And also where this team is going in the sense that there are four key uh, free agents on, on this hockey club. Uh, Mike Smith, as I mentioned, had a, had a tremendous year. He's 39. Um, and... You know, uh, the the easy thing would be okay. Bring him back on another one year contract and get in a, a solid one A or one B goalie to play with him. But the other two goaltenders on the roster um, uh, that have been with this team for the vast majority of the year or all year, in the case of Miko Koskinen, um, they're under contract for next season. So you know, there's be it'll be you know challenging to kind of work that situation. You know, Koskinen and Alex Daylock, who was the third string goaltender, picked up uh, off waivers uh, in March. And then you have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the longest serving member of, of this hockey club. He needs a new deal. Uh, Tyson Berry, who I mentioned, uh, you know, led all defensemen in scoring. Um, uh, the expectation that I've heard is, is it's, it's unlikely he'll be back with, uh, with Evan Bouchard pushing. And, you know, there, there, that's an opportunity for, uh, for some, some cap kind of flexibility because he even said today uh, it's, his preference is to get, you know, a long-term contract out of the next team he plays for. And I don't see that being uh, in Edmonton with, with Bouchard, a younger, cheaper, uh, very similar type uh, skill set player uh, right behind him. Uh, and then you have Adam Larson, who is a very important part of that defensive core. And, and, and a, a guy who plays uh, the type of game that not many or, if, or any uh, Oilers defensemen play, you know, a really rugged defensive style game. So, um, you know, without those guys coming back and some other uh, dead money kind of coming off the books, uh, Ken Holland has about $25 million uh, to play with. Uh, obviously, I think some of those players that I mentioned uh, will be back. It, it seems likely that some will be back. Uh, others won't. Uh, but that gives them still, regardless, a lot of flexibility to, to shape this team. And I think there's a, at least two top six forwards that, um, th- that, you know, he should be trying to strive for. And as you kind of alluded to, that, that bottom six in terms of scoring and, and driving play was a, was a real black hole. So uh, there's a lot of room, especially up front, to, to shape this hockey club. But obviously the core pieces are very good core pieces, and they're, uh, and they're around too. So that, that's kind of where the, the starting point is. Are people happy with the job that Dave Tippett and Ken Holland are doing? Uh, if you look on Twitter for a little while, uh, I, 
I don't think that's the case, but I think realistically, a lot of people are, are really annoyed with, with uh, you know, the way things have transpired in the last uh, week or so more than anything. Uh, Dave Tippett obviously gets a lot more flack because um, he didn't play Evan Bouchard a lot. He didn't play uh, Tyler Ennis, who seemingly could have been a top four, uh, top six winger uh, and was after he was acquired at the trade deadline last year. Uh, he didn't play him a lot either. So there were some some types of lineup moves that, that people kind of questioned uh, more so than, than others, uh, you know, when it came to uh, – to Dave Tippett, uh, obviously, uh, Chris Russell is a you know a, a solid you know veteran depth defenseman, but a lot of times he would play over some other uh, players that uh, fans preferred, and and even you know there were times where he got into a top four role, so that that irked people. Um, so yeah, I mean uh, Dave Tippett, I think um, is has gotten a lot of a lot more flack. Ken Holland, um, I, I think there's a lot less for him. He's a guy who came in and inherited quite a mess from his predecessor, Peter Shirelli. Uh, and again, as I, as I mentioned, this is his summer. This is the time for him to make his, his, uh, put his stamp on the team because he has that flexibility both in terms of money and uh, roster um, uh, kind of uh, flexibility or whatnot to be able to do what he, he, he can do to shape this team. So this is a really you know, big summer for, for Ken Holland. And, and I think the pressure gets ratcheted up on him, um, you know, in, in the coming weeks and, and into next year as, as his moves start to happen and then become evaluated. The James Neal contract, he's getting paid $5.75 million for uh, each of the next two seasons through the end of 2023. He's 33. He had 10 points in 29 games this past year. How big is an issue is James Neal and trying to find some way to make him work with that kind of money going his way? Well, realistically, I think if there's a buyout candidate on this on this roster, he is right front and center. And that was actually a very strong move that Ken Holland made because um, he flipped Milan Lucic to get James Neal. Um, Milan Lucic has had some success in Calgary, but it just was not working in Edmonton. And the main point of getting of uh, making that move for Ken Holland, uh, aside from uh, getting a, a player who wasn't fitting in here in Edmonton, was that his contract was bio-proof. Uh, the, the types of um, the way it was structured, the, the bonuses and whatnot, made it essentially a, you know, a poison pill. James Neal did not have those types of clauses in his contract, and that was something Ken Holland uh, has said on the record, that you know he, he brought in James Neal because that contract or he, he, he acquired James Neal because that contract, if needed, could be bought out. And now we're at the point where I think uh, it's a very strong chance for that to happen. I mean, James Neal, um, you know, he's had a tremendous career, but those, you know, the last few years, um, say for, you know, he had, he had some, a pretty good first half of the year last year in Edmonton, but the last, you know, three years, uh, you know, two and a half, I guess you can say with the, that, that first half of last season, maybe taken out of the picture, have not gone very well for him. Now, he's, he struggled with some injuries um, and, and some COVID-type issues, um, but uh, I think we're at the point now where we kind of know what he is. He was scratched the last two playoff games. Uh, the writing is, is, if not on the wall, uh, the, the pen's out, and uh, it's, it's very likely that, uh, that they go in that direction, I think. Connor McDavid said today in uh, his... Uh, year-end media availability, and we'll hear more on, later in the show from him, but the, the the where he can go from here, he says he's 24 years old, he can still get better, he just had a remarkable offensive season, there's been a lot of talk about how his two-way game has improved, 
how much better can Connor McDavid be? I think there's still a bit of a uh, bit of room, uh, as unbelievable as that as that sounds to say. You know, when when I saw him, this is my third year covering the team. I mean, I, I've I've watched him closely from afar, and and you know, covered a World Juniors where he played uh, his first one in, in in Sweden, which is you know he's a completely different player. But but this is a guy who's tremendously driven, the, the most talented player I've ever witnessed uh, up, up front. I'm only I'm only uh, 34, so take that for what you will. But um, I I always thought he was the type of player that at his peak could score two points a game. Um, and I, I don't have that number right in front of me, but I know it's in the one point like eight range, a little higher. So I think there's a little bit more he can do. So, you know, in an 82-game uh, season, you know, you're looking at around 160 points. I, I think there is uh, if he's healthy and every, everything goes goes well, I think there's an avenue for him to get close to that. Um, you know, this year he was basically at 155-point pace. So, you know, you're adding five, ten points to that. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if there's more talent on this team, which is what they're striving for, I don't think he's at his peak. Um, uh, this is a guy that is an all-world talent, and uh, I don't think – I think he's right. I, I don't think we've seen the best from him yet. Um, that will that will come in the next couple of years. You know, he will eventually start to slow down, whether it is the, the incredible skating or the production, uh, or obviously both. But it, we, I don't think we've seen that point yet. Finally, how far do you think the Jets can go? You know what? I, I, I always liked that team like coming into the year from the forward perspective. Um, and now that you know they're healthy getting... Um, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and uh, Nick Ehlers back partway through that series. Man, I, I, I do like that top nine, but the def- the defense kind of, I, I think they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit more than the sum of their parts. I really like Neil Pionk's game. I, 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 you know, I know Josh Morris, he's had his struggles there, uh, especially since uh, Jacob Truba left, but um, I've always admired, uh, admired him. I think they, they play a pretty good, um, pretty, pretty good structure. And, um, and Connor Halbuck obviously speaks for you know his accomplishments speak for themselves. Uh, you know what with with John Tavares potentially I, you know I'm obviously getting ahead of myself and, and assuming that they will play Toronto, but you know with John Tavares uh, seemingly out of the mix for the Maple Leafs that that you know opens a, I think a bit more of a door for um, for the Jets, but I would still put you know put the Leafs as the as the favorite, but Hey, I thought the Oilers were the favorite. So what the hell do I know? Right. Um, it's, it, you weren't the I, only I, one. Yeah. I suspect though, I suspect they'll, 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 their time will end next round, but you know, sometimes, you know, your team has a great goaltender, uh, has some, some good scoring options and plays a sound defensive structure and they can, they can go far. So I uh, would not surprise me to, uh, to see them upset a team like Toronto. They play Toronto tough throughout the course of the year, but I wouldn't put my money on them in the next round. All right, there you go. Daniel, appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and uh, I guess we'll uh, read your work in The Athletic if, as we stay tuned to see what the Oilers do to try to get better this offseason. Thanks. Oh, you're very welcome, Christian. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this.
try to warn you over the day.